welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast, Season 2. With your host, Byron Rogers, this podcast is dedicated to the Executive Protection Practitioner, the Private Security Professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective Executive Protection Agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, enjoy the show. Out. Boom. Yo, what's up, you guys? Byron Rogers here for another awesome episode of the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. I got something special for you. I'm here with Pablo Ortiz Monasterio from Mexico, and we're going to talk about some heavy stuff. How you doing, Pablo? Doing great, Byron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor, man. I, um, I mean, it's kind of outside of the realm of executive protection, kind of, you know, like the just the, the, the typical things that we talk about, but... Um, it's something that is also within the scope of uh, things I think we need to understand and it's really interesting. So, you know, we're gonna talk about what's going on down in your neck of the woods with regards to kidnapping and human trafficking and all that stuff today. And actually that's why executive protection got so big down here. Uh, it was because of kidnapping. Wow. So that industry is what spawned a lot of what we see going on down there. Cause e- executive protection now, I know you guys are, you know, doing some things and there might be some good school, there's some good schools popping up down there pretty soon from what I hear and yes, and stuff like that, which I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited for, you know, but uh, yeah, you guys are having kind of a boom of, of protection down there. Yeah, well, it, it started a few years ago, but uh, I think there, there's about a thousand executive protection companies registered in the, with, with the government. So you can't imagine there's a lot of uh, protection going on. Wow. And I've heard that there's something to like, maybe it's not the best idea to just hire a company down there. You really need to know how to know if they're legit. Is that true? Yes. yes. There's been a lot of, uh, of concern and there's been a lot of cases about kidnappings that were orchestrated by bogus security companies that just popped up. You know, they start doing business. Usually they, they show very credible credentials. They get into your home. They analyze your routines. They get to know you. And then they, and then boom, they, you know, they, they extract somebody and they keep them for, for ransom. Wow. Okay. So the inside job thing's a big thing. You got to know who you're working with. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't know. Cause it's like, I've worked in a lot of different compartments of the industry. Um, but working South of the border, man, I feel like it's real. Like you gotta, re- like you really, it's real. You know, it's not, it's not any kind of detail for like, you know, you're not trying to, deal with little girls that want to like, you know, grab your client or, you know, you're not fighting people off of autographs. It's a different world. Maybe. Yes. Yes. Well, it's the thing is the consequences of mistakes down here are usually pretty expensive. Right? And um, crime is it's it's booming. And every day they're they're innovating and they're getting better at what they do and they're changing their techniques so that they try to, to stay ahead of what security companies do. 
So very few security companies are actually keeping up with that with that shift. And of course, there's a lot of very good security companies that actually have forced the, the bad guys to shift their techniques and, and their ways in order to find new markets and, and new victims because they're really wow. good at what they do. But they've learned the hard way. It's It got worse. It, it got bad very fast back in the 90s. And it got worse up until like 2010. And from 2010 till now, uh, executive protection has been very successful, but then crime has migrated into another area now where they're, they're doing different things to kind of, you know, keep the money coming in. Wow. Like what kind of different things? <laughs> it, it's interesting because it used to be what, you know, kidnapping is still a very big business in Mexico. I can say, I can tell you that, you know, there's drugs, there's human trafficking, and right behind it, it's uh, it's counterfeiting and, and kidnapping, which is one of the ma- main sources of income for organized crime here. Wow. And what happened was they usually targeted very high-profile individuals that could pay a lot of money. But those high-profile, this started in the, in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, you know, the guerrilla or the guerrilla in, uh, in Mexico started growing, and they started out with, uh, with the kidnappings. After that, a lot of smaller groups started emerging that did kidnapping for money. And what they usually did is they they would usually look for somebody that could pay an average of $100,000 within 21 days. And they started taking those kind of people. But then, you know, people that had money because of really, really high profile kidnappings that took place uh, back in 96, between 96 and and 98, um, these new security companies started emerging. We started reaching out to different, uh, different executive protection schools, kind of like, you know, the, the American Executive Protection School that comes mostly from, from Secret Service. We had the, the Israeli Executive Protection School, which was also very famous at the moment, and uh, the British Executive Protection School. And we started, these companies started reaching out, trying to get help or trying to get, you know, trained in order to protect their principles. And over time, they started realizing that our situation was different, that what was going on uh, in the United States is mostly uh, famous people protection uh, that and and here most of the most of the people are most of the guys that you need to protect are anonymous so it's not anyone in the street that's approaching them it's someone that knows them and someone that you know wants something from them that's approaching and we started migrating and then we created kind of like our own methods of doing things because we started seeing what failed uh, along the way along those years and it worked and I actually spoke about this at uh, the GSX uh, two years ago in, in Las Vegas uh, with the SIS. And I th- we, we accomplished, or well, not we, I was, I was still very young, but um, you know, they, what they accomplished was they inoculated a part of the population in Mexico, the very high income part of the population, was got inoculated against these type of kidnappings. Mm, right? Then okay. a series of, of unfortunate events happen. They declare war on drugs. The army starts coming out into the streets. You know, to cut the long story short, yeah. Go when ahead. You say when you say inoculated, you mean they were insulated and protected from it, or yes. they started having like funds for? Okay, so they they yeah, right. created systems to actually that actually worked. Yes. Uh, it it thankfully ninety or more percent of kidnappings that go on in Mexico are for economic reasons. They want money. Mm. It's mostly money, right? So what happens is this part, this particular part of the population became bad business for, uh, you know, the gangs okay. that used to do kidnappings. So, you know, the high, very high profile individuals that used to pay millions of dollars and they were, they were kidnapping for very long periods of time, they stopped being kidnapped for a while. And then they moved 
uh, a little bit down market. But then when they increased the, the war on drugs and the army came into the streets and started fighting organized crime, organized crime needed a new source of income. And this is our perception. There's no, I mean, we haven't really talked to El Chapo or anything that actually can confirm this, but there's you know, a trend. Shirts, but <laughs> yeah, street, street content, street information. Exactly, street <laughs> information. But there's, there's, a, there's a pattern there that you can see by the time the army went into the street by, and, and kidnapping started increasing around 90, I'm sorry, 2008. Mm. What happened was organized crime got into kidnapping and organized crime is a lot more uh, effective than regular kidnapping gangs that operate locally. Organized mm-hmm. crime goes into massive kidnappings. And what happens is they, <clears throat> they steered away from the high-profile individuals that were already taking care of themselves because that involved a lot more risk and that involved a lot, a lot more uh, you know, logistics to be able to kidnap them, if you will. And they moved down market even more to people that would pay between 1000 to eight $9,000 within a week. Shorter periods of, of time, Little, uh, a lot less money, and these are people that cannot afford to pay for a trip to the protection. Yeah, it's a great market. There's it a is lot a great of market them. for them, and then the they, whole <laughs> and they, they, they don't care if you drive a cab, if you you own a you know a, a little convenience store, they'll take them, and they'll have sixty to hundred people kidnapped in one particular place. They usually have them, you know, up in the mountains where they're hard to reach. They collect whatever they can within a week, and boom, they're back. And it's it's kind of like they're they're swapping people all the time. Wow! So it's getting hard to protect people from that. Because you kind of hmm. so once you reach that demographic, like maybe you're a small business owner or something, you have to recognize the fact that you could be a target. Yes, and you have to recognize the fact that you can, if you cannot afford to pay for security, uh, you need to learn to do security on your own. Ah. Do your own security, right? It's kind of like self protection. Yeah, this is amazing. So how has the security industry responded to that? Is, is there anything you can do for that business owner? Yeah. Is it just kind of educating them or because the money is what drives us? You know? Yeah, of course. But even even security companies that are, you know, you know, people that do security in Mexico are paid considerably less than what, than what they would be paid anywhere else in the world. There are a lot of them. We have a lot of people that do security here. I can tell you there's about 100,000 security guards in Mexico registered. Wow. And, um, but still, it's impossible to, you know, to take care of everyone because they cannot right. afford to have security. So what we need to do is we need to teach them mm-hmm. about security, what they need to do to stay safe and kind of like create this, this same inoculation that we, that we created for the, upper, for the upper end of the socioeconomic um, Spectrum of people. Spectrum, exactly. Um, we need to create the same thing for the for the lower end, with them becoming the worst possible business as time uh, continues. Right? It's yeah. it's hard. It's not executive protection. It's actually yeah. self protection, and they need and they need to learn and they need to do it because the government's not doing it, and and, and they won't do it because it's it's too it's hard too for much. them and it doesn't pay. Yeah. Wow. Are there any like? Like small tips you could just drop on us real quick, like little things that you kind of like, hey. For, for self-protection? Yeah, just for the, the you know, the, the business owner, the small business owner, the guy, the small guy. Well, the small guy, there's, there's a few things that you need to take care of is one, you need to take, to be very careful with whom you hire and who you let into your life because of all the information that they're going to get, right? Be, be careful to separate the information from your job or from your 
company that and, and, and personal personal information don't don't mix because a lot of people, a lot of times it's really easy and we do it because I mean it's right there we we have somebody at the at the office and we send them home to do a couple of chores and then they come back because it's easier but yeah. that kind of information you don't know where it's sending out and uh, and the other thing is pay attention mm. right they yeah. pay attention if somebody if if you if you see patterns you know people following you things like that. It's it's not as simple as as we can do in in, in yeah. minutes here, but it's, it's usually it's it's usually about if if they see you, you can see them. The problem is you're not paying attention, and they're taking advantage of that. So if you see somebody that's continuously roaming outside your house, they're studying you, they're looking at you, they're looking at your children. Don't dismiss it as normal. Mm-hmm. Do something right, like what ASAS says that if you see something, do something. Yeah, see something, yeah, say something, something, man. Exactly. See the, uh, the, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's back to, we find ourselves back to the hostile planning cycle and trying to interrupt the hostile planning cycle, which is, you know, you talk about this with regards to terrorism and uh, when they're trying to, you know, plan an attack, they have to expose themselves at various points amongst that planning cycle. Yes. And we aim to interject, disrupt that planning cycle. And so we, I, I am a big, big uh, fan, and I study a lot about uh, Colonel John Boyd. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, and, uh, really. uh, Colonel John Boyd was a uh, colonel from the Air Force. Uh, okay. He died in 97. He created the concept for the OODA loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm Marine, right. man. We had to hear OODA loop so many times. <laughs> it's very interesting. That man, that man was a genius. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> It is, it is, and uh, it's it's practically what you're saying. What what he said is you have to get into your enemy's OODA loop, into his planning, disrupt his his uh, decision making, so that he makes a mistake. Right? Yeah. It's it's pretty it's very interesting. We we have we have digested yeah. the idea of the OODA loop, kind of like to teach these people how to use that OODA loop in their day to day lives, but we don't tell them about the the OODA loop because then they think it's simple. It's as simple as observing, orienting, deciding, and acting, and it's not. Yeah. Right. So we have to stay away from that. We don't tell them about that, but we tell them the the, seg- the sequence that they have to follow in order to know when somebody's uh, studying them or kidnapping. Wow, this is good stuff, Pablo. I dig it, man. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> that's good to go. It's a lot of what I try to do with the Protect Your Nation brand, man. Make good people a little more dangerous. Help them be willing, capable, and prepared. You know. Um, so. Your ba- so now that we've gone all those different places, we bring it into. So, what would you mind just breaking down your background for us, real quick, so everyone knows, you know, where you come from, why they're listening to you? <laughs> of course. Uh, well, I started on security in year two thousand. I was invited to form uh, to be part of a group that did kidnap and ransom negotiations. Uh, between two thousand two thousand and four, we did we did about three hundred and thirty four cases, and then two thousand and four decided to step out and started. Uh, doing security, different areas of security. And, uh, but the interesting thing about this part of my background is we learned, we, we saw so many cases and we learned why. Yeah, how many cases do you say? Three, 334 back then. And then I saw other ones. But, wow. And that's within four years. Man, that's learning how to drink out of a fire hose, man. That's, that's I mean, you, you understand the game, you know, that, that's, that that's much what exposure. we tried to do. Exactly. That's what we tried to do because one thing you have to understand, and you know, a negotiator is not what you see on TV. It's not okay. someone that grabs the phone and talks to these people. Yeah. Because if you <laughs> look, look at it, look at it 
and you do security. You know, you yeah. always have to look at it from the bad guy's point of view. All the time. If you were the bad guy and had somebody kidnapped, would you be willing to talk to somebody that is not part of the family? No. Of course not. And if no. you find what out- What power does he have? And he's exactly. going to be trained on how to do it. Like, I want to talk to the weak people that I'm praying exactly. on. Exactly, yeah. right? Exactly. And you need to create anguish. If you cannot get to the people that's going to get anguished by the, by yeah. the things that you're telling them, it's not going to work, right? So they need to talk to somebody in the family and the risk of them finding out that you try to trick them would eventually result in harming the victim, right? The, the, yeah. the kidnapping. So we have to be very careful. So it's not like in the movies. We usually, it's, it's like, we're like attorneys. We sit in the back and we listen to the conversations. We write on the walls. We tell them the arguments that they, they need to say. And the main goals of a, of, a, of a negotiator is first to make sure that the times are reduced, that the quantities that they pay are reduced, and that the stress levels are reduced. We do not guarantee that the victim is going to come back mm. because that's not our job. The really? victim will come back. And then, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because I know all those questions that you have prepared, but if in most, just, just, you know, to go get a little bit ahead, uh, in most cases you will pay and he will come back. It's really? very, yeah, it's, it's, it's a small percentage that actually gets killed. And I'll, I'll get more into that when we get to that question if you want. Oh, but our, our job is, okay. exactly. Our job is to, because we know from experience how it usually goes down, we're going to yeah. make it easier for the family to understand mm -hmm. what's going on and what to expect next, mm -hmm. and how not to, uh, you know, to act that would, you know, extend activity or, 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 you know, or actually break the family. Mm. Wow, that's so. So you ruined every hostage negotiator movie I've ever seen just now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's one that is actually based on a true event. Uh, remember that movie with... Um, Same Man on Fire. Same Man on Fire, please. Man on Fire, it's a, it's a great movie. It yes. was, they, they came to... It was filmed in Mexico. Yeah. They actually they hired professional negotiators to... Uh, you know, to advise them on how it usually goes down, but you have mm -hmm. to understand it's Hollywood. Yeah, it, yeah. Their their job is to entertain you, not to inform you. Right, right, right. So, Man on Fire, everything is going perfect up until the moment when she gets kidnapped. Then it's it's a movie. Then, then, yeah, then, then it, it goes, goes all over everywhere. Yeah. There's one that uh, that was actually based, and I don't know if they had access to this information or not, but it was uh, it was called Ransom. Actually, and this this little kid that gets kidnapped, his dad goes on TV and says, "See all this money that you're asking for a ransom? Instead of giving it to you, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know offer it to whoever brings me your head." Yeah, man, is this a uh, oh what's with, uh, uh, I forgot I, I'm very bad with names. Not oh uh, man, my man from Mel Gibson. Uh, yes, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson my yes. Mel, well, we I'm watching that, it tonight. <laughs> that particular case is it actually happened. And unfortunately, it was the brother of a, of a friend of mine. It was really? one of the, yes, it was, it was a kidnapping. It was very famous. It was done by a guy called Daniel Arismendi, who was one of the most, one of the most, most successful kidnappers we ever saw in Mexico. He was nicknamed the ear chopper because his, his signature card was sending the ear of the victim to the father or to the, you know, to the family as proof yeah. of life. And uh, he did a lot of kidnappings. This, this was one of the, the first ones that he did. 
And the father of this boy, uh, and this, this was uh, late 90s, uh, the father of this boy, when he was getting into the conversation, Arismendi was also always very calm. He was never aggressive. He never insulted the family. And yeah. in, in his crazy mind, he said, well, they're, they're going through enough because I have their family member and I don't want to insult them or anything. So, He's respectful. And he came to a point where he said, well, I want that this much amount of money. I don't remember the, the amounts. And, um, and the father said, well, we cannot, we cannot, you know, get that amount of money. He said, well, I know you can. Back in the, those days, they used to have a lot of information about how much money the family had. And he said, well, this is the amount of money that I'm willing to, to negotiate for. So the father gets nervous, gets angry, and he says, well, if you do something to my little kid, I'm going to use this money to hunt you down. I'm going to offer it as a ransom for your help. The problem is in that movie, which is the exact same situation, mm-hmm. The, the kidnapper gets nervous and makes a lot of mistakes. In this movie, the kidnapper hung out the phone, went to the, the kid's room where he had him captive, got him into the shower, and put a bullet in his head. And that was it. In real life? Yes, sir. Wow. And he just left him there to, you know, to for the blood to go down the drain and then disappear. And uh, that was the beginning of the end because this kid's mother founded... Uh, uh, he, she, she created a foundation or association called uh, it's, it's called Mexico Unido Contra la Delincuencia, which is Mexico United Against Crime. And it's one of the largest associations that actually fought this kind of, of, of crimes and would eventually lead to his, his demise and ending up in prison. But he did go into the shower. He took the kid into the shower and, and you know, put a bullet in his head. Wow. That quick, that cold. Wow. And from there, we learned mm-hmm. never to do that, right? Yeah, the, the ego, like you don't want to offend, you know, while you have yeah, I, cards on the table, you know, that you don't want to lose, pieces on the table you yes. don't want to lose. So, so as I said, we took all this time, all, this, all, this, um, all these years and all these, all these many cases to learn what happened, why did it happen, and what could have been done to prevent it. We talked wow. to all the victims when they came back. Um, so it was, it was interesting and that's where my career started. And wow. from there I moved on into training mostly. Wow. Okay. Outstanding. What sticks out? You said from there, you use this information to put together. What was it again? Uh, we, we do only training. We, we, mm. we decided to go into training. We, we created, um, an executive and, uh, well, it's, it's kind of like a branch of executive protection. We do security driver training. Say that again, and, you broke uh, up. Security. Oh, sorry. We do security driver training. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So, uh, and, and we took advantage of everything we saw. And there's another thing that, uh, that I saw through those years. It was that uh, a lot of people were being tricked into training in things that really made no sense. Hmm. And uh, as I said, I've been studying. I'm a scholar. I'm, I, my technical background comes... Uh, from from actually studying all these things, I love physics. I love engineering. Uh, I love uh, studying uh, John Boyd, Colonel John Boyd. I've studied yeah. uh, along. We actually had uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman speaking at one of our events in Mexico. I've studied a lot along along him wow. or about him. And um, not not everyone gets to be in the you know where the action happens. 
Right. My job is to make sure that when the action happens, your skills or the skills of the people that are going to be in that front line are actually real. Because a lot of people are being tricked into yes. training in things that seem very glamorous, mm -hmm. like uh, combat training or, I'm sorry, uh, you know, and they're teaching them to jump out of helicopters. <laughs> when they never travel on a helicopter, they don't even have the gear to jump out of a helicopter. So it makes no sense, but it's fun. And it looks nice, right? So yeah. we went into this business to try to uh, to counter that in Mexico and try to educate people on how training works, how the physical part or the uh, psychophysiological part of training works mm -hmm. to create the right skills so that you can trust that the skills are going to be there when that thing happens. When that Because in Mexico, yeah. it's not a matter of if it ever happens. It's a matter of when it happens. Yeah. Will you wow. be able to do something and how do you measure that and all that? So I, we got into this business uh, from mm -hmm. the science part of it more than, more than the, the tactical part of it. We're trying, we, mm -hmm. we create the science so that the tactical people can actually do their jobs. Awesome. From experience. From experience based on, based on real life situations. Yeah, not as much theory. I dig that. Uh, I really dig that, especially now in this world of like, because I see all these influencers, I just see people online and it's like, yo, is this guy legit? Has he done this before? Does he have a background or is he just really good at marketing and he looks sexy on Instagram? So you guys are following him and acting like he's like the business when he's not a real anything. <laughs> you know? that, that, exactly. That's the problem. It, it, and, and, you know, action looks sexy. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like Hollywood. And, and, and you actually brought up a very good example of the way I see uh, how security goes down in Mexico. It's uh, Men on Fire. Men on yeah. Fire, is a, it's a great movie. And I actually oh, so use sexy. it in my training. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love it too. But there's this scene where, this, where the little girl, uh, Dakota Fanning, is, is at this piano audition, remember? And, and, mm -hmm. and Delsa Washington, her bodyguard, is, is standing right outside. Mm -hmm. And when she comes out, also Washington is exchanging fires with this uh, with the Group. bad guys, yeah, and 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 the comeninos they were called, and, and they used a lot of, a lot of real terms. But uh, he yells, "Run!" and she starts running down the sidewalk, and he gets hit, and then she comes back because she loves his uh, her bodyguard. And when she tries to help him, they, then she gets kidnapped. Take her, yeah. If if we look at it from the real side of security, when this little girl opens the door and sees her bodyguard exchanging fire with the bad guys. If she would have taken a step back and closed that door, it would have been Hollywood's most boring movie ever. Yeah. And then the girl locked the door and the bodyguard got shot. Yeah, that's it. And then exactly. the kidnappers left. And yeah. then you get credits, right? Because then yeah, yeah. there's no kidnap. Yeah. Yeah. So if, when you do that in marketing, it doesn't work because people want to, want to see the part of the movie when you get into fighting and into all of these things. So, what we do is we work in the background. We, mm -hmm. we work with real, with real professionals that actually know that, you know, when, when that time comes, they're going to need those skills to be, uh, they're going to be there. Okay. And they need to trust that, that, that the skills that they got in their training, because you have limited amount of training. So if yeah. you waste that limited amount of training in jumping out of helicopters, when the moment comes for, you know, when things get real, you won't be able to use that in any way, right? So you need to trust that the skills that you're getting are going to be there for a moment when you need. Yeah, are really high quality and coming from a place of knowledge, exactly. experience, you know, not theory. God bless. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Everyone's got <laughs> yes. a plan to get punched in the face, right? Um, uh, Mike Tyson. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, so if you're going to explain a kidnapping from start to finish, how does it usually go down? 
what are some common ways it goes down? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit. Okay, so, so if, if I oh. yeah, I was gonna say if you were gonna explain what you saw in terms of how these kidnappings go down, is there are there common themes? Like how does it go down from start to finish? I'm gonna talk about you know a kidnap for ransom and when they kidnap high profile executives, which is what really uh, you know concerns us in the yeah, relevant. There's there's a few things that you need to take into account. There's two types of professional kidnappings. There's a professional long-term and a professional short-term. Professional mm-hmm. long-term, they're going to go against individuals that cannot hide their, uh, their wealth, right? People that are always on the, on the media that you know that they're billionaires, whatever mm-hmm. they do, they can't hide their wealth. And they're going to ask for millions of dollars and they're going to collect millions of dollars. They're going to keep them for a long time, and negotiations are very difficult. Okay. Negotiations are usually not one-on-one, They're usually done over mail or you know anonymous uh, emails, or they find ways to do it so that you cannot negotiate. And, uh, and then there's, there's the professional short-term. The professional short-term, they're going to go against individuals that not necessarily are very wealthy, but they have enough money to pay for uh, a good ransom. And this good ransom, what Same I mean down. is, yeah, about ten, about a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Hundred thousand. The other guys are going to go for millions. This guys are going to go for about for a hundred thousand, uh, hundred to five hundred thousand, and they're going to keep them for about a month. And okay. right. So the first thing that these individuals need to know is that they actually have the money. They need to have that information, and this usually comes from within. You know, from your from your inner circle, somebody talks or somebody sells your information. Uh, somewhere and then they decide they're going to go after you. It's not because it's really hard to just be, you know, scanning the, the social media to see who appears to have money and, and then try to do all this investigation. The investigations, as you know, they're not cheap, they're not easy. So they usually get this information from somewhere and they have huge networks looking for this kind of information. And this kind of information is, well, the guy owns, owns a Ferrari or he has this in this house somewhere. And then they get your attention and then they start doing research on who you are to make sure that you're good business for them. As I said, this is business, this is money. Mm-hmm. So uh, from there, they go into your social media, the, amount, the more information they can find on social media, that's gold mine, right? Yeah. They're gonna, they're trying to go, they're gonna try to go to people that are, uh, you know, close to the family, uh, domestic employees, like, uh, you know, the maids, uh, drivers, uh, gardeners, things like that, people that do cleaning. If they can, they're gonna try to go through the office uh, to try to find information that would actually corroborate that this person has enough money to pay for it, they're not going to take the risk if it's not worth it. Okay. So the so investigation, exactly. So there's there's an investigation beforehand and uh, so that they can choose who to kidnap. Once they have you, they have to study when to kidnap you, right? It's not... It's not like uh, they're not going to go into your home and bring you out because they don't, they don't... They need to have everything controlled in the way they okay. do things, right? So they're usually going to look for routines. Um, Gavin DeBecker has that, you know, down to the, to the, with, with his books, oh, how yeah, they do down it to the down to T exactly. And, um, how they do it. And it's, that doesn't change at all. They're going to look for, you know, soft spots. They're going to look for patterns. They're going to look for choke points. Mm-hmm. They're going to look how to break your security or how to, uh, where you're making mistakes usually. And uh, people do it. Usually, you know, they have yeah. very tough security around them and then they're going to go, uh, on Sundays, they go to the, to the club to play tennis and they don't take the driver or they don't take the security yeah. because they, they, they kind of think it's not, it's not routine. And it is yeah. 
right? And they're gonna they're gonna wait for the weakest link. And uh, once once they found find that, that's when they're going to attack. So that's that's like the, like the the normal pre preparation for that uh, for for the kidnapping. After it goes down, usually they're kept they're kept well. You know, they usually because. Also think about it from the bad guy's perspective, having a person that is not comfortable or that it's ill or that it's aching or that it's hurt, it's going to be a lot more difficult to keep for a month or six months or a year or whatever than someone that's healthy and, you know, you're just behaving well. So usually violence, it's trying to, it's, it's being kept minimized. to the, to the, exactly, it's been minimized for their own sake, for their own uh because it's also a lot more difficult to negotiate. I'm going to tell you this uh, this uh, anecdote later on about this guy that they tried to negotiate him with him already dead, and it doesn't work because there's there's a million ways to find out somebody's already dead, right? So uh, so usually they're going to try to keep them healthy and you know not not comfortable. It's not a hotel, it's not a spa, but uh, but I mean they're going to be okay. Who are they going to take? This is very important. Sometimes companies in Mexico invest a lot of money in taking care of their executives, but they forget about their families. And mm -hmm. it's very, very weird that they actually take the executive because most companies, if not all, have policies against negotiating with kidnappers. Or because also if you take somebody from, from a big company, from a big transnational company, Fortune 500, and you actually get a ransom or you get paid by the company to get this executive back, Immediately after that, every single uh, you know executive in the company is going to be a, is going to have a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> bullseye, have a bullseye on them. Yeah, so it's, it doesn't work, right? So they usually won't go for the person that signs the checks. They're going to look for somebody that, that you know that that represents the highest emotional value for that person. So usually your executive, he is vulnerable, but his family is a lot more vulnerable. Even yeah. if they wanted to do something to the company, taking somebody with a high emotional attachment to this person will be better than taking him in particular. Yeah, right? more damaging psychologically, more anxiety driving. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And these guys, that's what they do. I mean, they're, they're merchants of terror. Yeah. And um, so usually what they're, they're going to take uh, teenager boys. I don't, I don't know why. But we usually prefer teenager boys than teenager girls. Really? Uh, yeah. And hmm. uh, they very, very seldomly do they take kids. Kids are really hard to keep. And it's also it's very, very, uh, very weird to to hear that somebody took a wife or a or a mother-in-law, for instance. In Mexico, there's a. It's kind of like the, the idiosyncrasy. Well, no here. one cares about the mother-in-law. <laughs> mother no one's going to pay for the mother-in-law to come back. No, joking, joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I get into trouble, that's yeah, why yeah, I get my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But um, so, uh, wow. So it's actually the targets are males, usually. Male, yeah. Teenager males. They're, harder, they're easier to keep. They just throw them in a the room, you know, feed them twice a day, and that's it. They don't need to... Uh, to take they, they don't need much care about wow. um our experience has been when when somebody's being kidnapped now looking looking at it from the side of, a, of the victim when you're there you need to uh you know stay calm you need to keep your faith faith is very important you know faith yeah. that something's being done to get you out of there regardless of what they tell you because they're usually going to try to play tricks to get you to give more information hmm. so they're going to tell you that uh either 
your father doesn't really care about you or that they're not willing to pay or that they're saying that they're not, they don't have the money to pay for you. So they've tried to do this to get more information so that they can have better, better cards when negotiating towards the outside. Right. Huh. And, um, so also as a victim, you need to keep the faith. You need to, you know, you need to trust that there everything's being done on the outside to get you out. That the that the odds are in your favor because most people get out. Really, um, you know, a lot of a lot of girls when when they come to training, um, they they're very 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 uh, concerned that if they get kidnapped, they might get raped. I've, I can tell you, I of three hundred thirty four cases, I only saw one case where the the girl got raped. Really? Yes. Wow, I one. would think. Wow. So, okay. Okay. Yeah, because for them, it's money. Right. Yeah. Once again, and and they need to keep an order, and and this is organized crime in most cases. When when it's not organized crime, it might change a lot. And now with all the cases that are going on in Mexico, I, it's really hard to, to keep track. But back then, when or, or or in the cases that are really professional kidnappings, only once mm-hmm. did I see a, a girl get raped. And um, and I think by the by what I what what she told me and the stories that she told me. Mm-hmm. I think it was something that one guy within the group decided to do on his own. It's not something that was, uh, you know, that, that okay, was allowed. It, it wasn't okay by the by the boss or by the you know by the big by the big man. Wow. But well, it happened once. So as I said, it's it's you got to keep calm. You got to be very careful not to volunteer information. You have to be very careful not to lie because that will increase the, the levels of violence, and you have to you know try to keep it as steady as possible or, or as calm as possible. Uh-huh. And uh, usually within mon- one month, your family's going to pay, you're going to come out and uh, you know, the, the psychological stress is hard and you need to seek professional help. Very few people can actually get out of it, uh, you know, on their own. Yeah. What happens if you don't pay or can't pay? Everyone pays. How does this work? Yeah, yes. You just pay. You just do. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. When, 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 when security fails and you're already there, yeah. everyone pays. I've seen in, in my career, I've seen very, very few, uh, you know, like, like military or government operatives that went in and actually rescued the, the kidnappings. It happens. But it's very, very seldom. It's not, it's not something that happens all the time. Really? Yeah. Unfortunately, wow. Because it's very dangerous, you know, going in, if they have, a, if they have hostages, going in and, you know, I'm preserving the life of these hostages. And, uh, and also, you know, trying to escape and all that, it's not really a good idea because you're going you're gonna to increase violence. I've only heard of one case where the, you know, the kidnappy ex- escaped and he was successful at escaping. Really? But, uh, yeah, but that, I think those, that's an exception to the rule. Wow. Okay. Right. So essentially, like, stay calm. Trust that things are being worked on on the outside. Uh, keep your faith. Keep yes. your ground yourself psychologically, and play the game as respectfully and intelligently as you can. <laughs> yeah, keep yourself entertained. If they, if usually, you know, in, in the stories of I've, that I've heard of from people that work, that work kidnapped, they usually ask for books, they ask for things, and they were given to them. If you ask, usually they wow. give it to you. Unless it's one of those really express kidnappings that, you know, it's going to last a week and they don't care. You're there with 150 other people and you're going to be there for six, seven days and they're, they're going to throw you out. But if you're going to be there for the long run, they usually give them things. They give them books. Uh, I know of a guy that asked for a Bible and they, they got him a Bible. And then when that Bible was worn out, he exchanged for a new one. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I, I've known of people that, you know, if they have 
um, you know, illness and they need medicine. They ask for the medicine and they get med- they get the medicine. Uh, one of the one of the victims that came back said that he asked for Johnny Walker Black Label and he got Johnny Walker Black Label. <laughs> really? As I said. Wow. <laughs> okay. If it's gonna be for the long run, they yeah. usually try to you know to keep them calm and to keep them uh, and try to keep yourself entertained. I don't advise uh, you know on, on drinking because yeah. that's gonna create anxiety and anxiety yeah. is not is not a good thing. But yeah. I do advise, you know, ask for, for whatever you need. If you're already there, try to keep calm. Ask for whatever you need. If you need medicine, if you need to, you know, to wash yourself, uh, different food, if you're allergic to something, let them know. Mm-hmm. What? So let's say you're working a client in Mexico. They've been kidnapped. What should a security professional or family member do right after that takes place? Okay. There's a time for everything, right? Yes, sir. I've, we had a case, and, and, and I usually use this as an example in every course that we teach. This guy was driving uh, his little daughter, nine-year-old, to okay. school, 7 a.m. in the morning. He gets into an ambush. They take his little girl. So he gets out of the car and he says, please don't take her. I'll give you a million pesos, about $100,000 uh, back then. I'll give you a million pesos in cash right now. What do you think happened? They took her. Of course, and that negotiation started at a million pesos. Adam, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. hundred thousand dollars. We want two hundred thousand dollars now. <laughs> I mean, if you had if you had a hundred thousand in cash, how yeah. much money can you get in twenty one days? So that was a very difficult uh, negotiation. Usually, when they ask for money for right now, it's not a real kidnapping. It's either an extortion or a virtual kidnapping, which is fake, big fake mm. kidnapping. Yeah, and uh, so and. Uh, or it's one of those kidnappings that's just gonna last a couple of days and they, they really don't care about information. They just care about what you can get real quick and you know give it to them and then move on. But on a real kidnapping or kidnapping ransom for, uh, for ransom, they're not going to, they're going to ask for money right now because they wanna know where they're standing and where they wanna start, mm-hmm. where they're gonna start for asking money, right? So if you say, okay, I have a million, a million dollars now, they're gonna say, okay, if you, if you have a million dollars now in, in a month, you're gonna have 10 million. 20 million, right? So you have to be very careful with that kind of thing. Mm. The first thing is the person goes missing, you're going to get a call. When you get that call, the, the rules are... Your, oh, okay, go ahead. Right? They're, they're going to tell you, we have this person kidnapped and they're usually <laughs> going to give you some proof that they have, right? Mm. And they're going to say, we, we want $10 million, something mm. that's uh, you know outrageous and something that most people can't afford. So, and they know that, they know that because it's going to come down through the negotiation. So the first thing you need to do is you need to keep calm. You need to realize that it's not going to get solved in that particular call, in that first call. Do not commit yourself to anything. Do not commit yourself to any quantities of money because that is where the negotiation is going to start. You need to say, I need to, I need, I need to figure out, I need to find out how much money I can offer you. And you know, buy yourself some time so they can you can get into those negotiations, and then get yourself some help. As I said, the role of the negotiator is helping the family go through the kidnapping. The odds of that person coming back, you know, alive and unharmed, are really high, above ninety percent in wow. all cases. Wow. So why do we want to get help? So that you understand what comes next, so that you can reduce your times, reduce quantities, and reduce stress. Just, uh, yeah, stress. Exactly, right. Stress plays a major role in this because every time when, when, they're, try, when they're about to reach the climax, they're going to they're gonna increase violence as much as they can because they need to establish 
trust and they need to know that you're not lying and they need to know that what you're offering is the most amount of money that you can actually offer and they're not going to get any more right so that's when the business has come to its climax this is the best deal for the for the or the most most bang for the buck that they're going to get right so they're going to give the, the person back and, and get that money and move on if they raise violence and you give them more money they're going to know that you were bluffing right so that's where the negotiator can advise you on how to do things, how to read what's going on. And they tell you that usually usually when they start getting into this climax or close to this climax, what they're going to tell you every time where you don't, uh, uh, you know, comply with what they're telling you, they say, okay, you go tell your wife to make you another kid because you just killed this one. And they hang up the phone and they stop calling for 10 days or, or five days. And this is, this is mental pressure that very few people, I, I don't wish this on my worst enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, man. And, and as a, a negotiator, ride. exactly. And as a negotiator, you have to tell them. You're like, this is just a slow Tuesday. Trust me. <laughs> yes, you have to trust me. They're not, this is, there's no winning anything for them if they kill them now, right? Yeah. They want to know, they want to break you and they want to make you go find some more money. Yeah. So if, if now you give them more money, even though, even if some, sometimes, you know, a, a brother appears out of nowhere and says, well, I have a million, another million pesos or another, you know, another hundred thousand dollars that I can loan you so that you can increase the, 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 the bag. And we say, well, that's not a good idea because they know, then they will know that you were lying. Yeah. That wasn't that your top and that you Lover. have other means of getting, uh, you know, of getting money. So, so maybe need they to, need to push again and see if you can do that again. And, and that will, and that if, if, if they cannot establish trust on your side, we can establish trust on our side, I'm sorry. Establishing trust on their side is going to be very difficult because if they don't trust us, what's going to happen is going to collect, they're going to collect that amount and then they're going to say, we don't trust you. And they're not going to give them back. They're going to start a brand new negotiation from zero. So oh, man. you get to pay twice. So you need to make sure that that trust worthiness is there from both sides before you make the exchange. Wow. Uh, how does the handover itself end up going down usually? Well, that's just very simple because if the, if the <laughs> you know, if the trust has been established, usually they, we call it, um, we, we, we tie the, the, the wheels or their, yeah, their, the wheels, they, they, you make them swear over the Holy dead and over the Virgin Mary and all that, you know, they're very keen in, in, Cool. And this is something that that uh, that Ed Calderon can explain to you a lot better than I can. But uh, they they're very they're very uh, religious and very faithful to the to the to death. They pray to to the Holy Death. So you make them swear by that, and you make them swear by the Holy Mary and their mothers and all that. And even the bad guys don't want to go to hell, right? So they they usually they usually commit. You hand out the money. It's usually done in a non-personal exchange. You leave the money somewhere where they know it's not going. It's not going to get stolen, and they're going to go later to pick it up. Hmm. And uh, and this is like the most vulnerable part on their side, right? Yeah, and, they have and this to is appear. they have to appear at a precise location. And this is where cops uh, in Mexico, you know, police like or used to like to do their operatives and and you know they 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 did all this operations play of four operations and the display of force and they <laughs> went and got them but what what the kidnappers started doing is they started creating a cell uh you know like like the terrorist groups up here uh, operate there's one cell that's going to get the money and there's another cell that has a that has the kidnappee or the victim and they don't know each other 
and the guy who's managing the you know the whole operation usually has a middleman between the the guys who are collecting the money and the guys and there's another middleman between the guys that are keeping himself safe so if they get if you get the guys that are getting the money what they're going what the you know the head is going to do is going to kill the middleman so that there's no link because these guys really don't know anything yeah so they stopped doing that it, it, because it started you know you started losing the money because uh, these guys would take it and then the person would not return you had to start over with them knowing that you betrayed them and that's not something that you want as a family, right? So, uh, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. So usually what happens is you pay the money, you pay the money where they tell you. uh, Usually you have a driver, they they keep on driving around uh, forever on a a cell phone, a burner. And when they're sure that he's not being followed, then he drops the money, they pick it up and they leave. And within 24 hours, you know, the victim is released you get a phone call from somewhere in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, that your family member is there and you have to go pick them up. Where it gets tricky is when it's, when they take little kids. And this is the reason why they don't take little kids uh, very often. And it is, how do you release a kid in the middle of the forest, you know, on a, on a, on a back road in the middle of nowhere, if he's going to die. And that does, and that won't work. So you have to make sure that, they actually leave them at a known location. So that's why they usually don't take little children. It, it, it proves to be very tricky for them and it exposes them a lot more. Wow. Okay. So you, it usually goes down like that. You just leave the money where they tell you and the, the, the person's going to return. Wow. Interesting. Corruption within oh, law yeah. enforcement. Do you see that stuff? Yes, actually, there was one of the, the major band, kidnapping bands uh, in the year 2000, and it was dismantled in, uh, I think it was 2005. The, the head man was a Marine uh, from, you know, a Mexican. He was, he was actually nicknamed the Marine. Hmm. And it's, we don't have Marines, but uh, that's, that's how they call the, the Navy here. Okay. So he was a Navy man, and... Um, so yeah, we get a lot, of, a lot of corruption, a lot of people that get in touch with that. Uh, there's usually a lot of nexus with local police and all that. And they tell you that. They tell you, we have nexus with everyone inside. So if you call the police, we're going to kill them. Not necessarily true, but they usually do have uh, you know, a lot of people in their payroll to make this happen. And now as uh, you know, organized crime has gotten into the business, it's gotten even worse because I've heard I didn't negotiate that or I wasn't present at that negotiation, but I've heard of a case that was kidnapped in, uh, in Cabo and he was released in Guadalajara and he says that he was brought into a plane inside a box. So that's, that's gotta involve a lot of corruption. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So when this happens, do you call the police, the local police, or do you just wait and try to do, you have to call some hostage negotiators. Is that a law enforcement thing or is that a private private well, side thing? Or? The, there are very good hostage negotiators in both sides, in the private sector and in the, in the police, but you have to be careful who you, who you talk to. Um, there's there's an organization in Mexico, there's, uh, it's it's the, the Fiscal Antisequestros, which would be like the, the attorney or the kidnapper related crimes attorney uh, in Mexico. And if you call him, they have a lot of really, really trustworthy people that are really good at what they do. And the information is very well taken care of. Um, You don't call the local police, I wouldn't at all. 
And there was there was a problem also that I, I didn't mention earlier. And one of the reasons that I left that group was because you've heard of Genaro Garcia Luna, right? That he's he's locked up in New York uh, without bail, and he used to be like the the chief of uh, of police and the chief of security here in Mexico. And he didn't like back back in the day. He was very good at uh, kidnapping ransom negotiations. He had a whole team inside the federal police that did kidnapping ransom negotiations. And he convinced the president back then to create a law that would, uh, you know, create liability for negotiators if something went wrong in the in the case. In my case, I never saw anything go wrong. I never saw uh, a fatality. Everyone came back. Of the 334 cases that I'm that I told you, everyone came back. Wow. But uh, but it, that raised liability, so we stepped out of the business. There's still very good private negotiators. Um, there are still, um, uh, you know, the insurance companies around the world, they usually have their local negotiators that they work with, and they have very good ones. And, and as I said, if you call the right person in the police, as long as it's not the local police, it's the federal police, it's, it's, it's a coin toss, but the odds are that you will get a good negotiator in return. These guys have a lot of experience as well. Okay, so there's there's assets there, but calling the local police is like, don't yeah, waste no, your time generally. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't because they, they're probably involved. They're probably involved with some, if not that particular group, they're going to be involved in some group, and that started getting, you know, that starts to get the word out. And we've seen cases where you get two people calling to negotiate, and you don't know who to trust, right? There's two two oh, two simultaneous yeah. negotiations, and that's because and the information got out. Wow. And you don't know who has them, right? So you have to be careful with that as well. And of course, they really don't like when you call the police. So if they find out that you call the police, they're going to raise violence. So you have mm. to be careful to call the right person at this, uh, uh, you know, kidnap-related crimes attorney. Right. And when you, when you say raise violence, what does this mean exactly? Like, what kind of things right. do you do? Well, <laughs> you know, your imagination is the limit, but uh, yeah. they're usually, they're usually going to hurt that, the victim to prove to you that they're telling the truth. They have to establish their trustworthiness right? Yeah. and whatever they have to do to get to that point. And it could be, you know, mutilating the victim, sending you a finger or near, or, or actually beating him up on, on camera really bad wow. so that you actually, you know, so you actually acknowledge that they mean business and they're in charge. Wow. You have to do that. Mm. So uh, anything that goes wrong, anything you try to do, you know, to sidetrack them, it's gonna it's gonna increase the chances of your family member getting hurt. Wow! So you got to play the game. You have to. Uh, yeah, they're in charge. You're 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 playing in their web, in their plan, right? Yeah. So you have to you have to work with what you have, and you have to uh, you have to make sure that you don't do anything that will encourage them or that will, uh, you know, make them increase violence to prove to you that they they mean what they're saying. They mean business. What about, you mentioned a dead hostage situation uh, and it being difficult to negotiate if those, yeah, how does that play out? This this same guy that I told you about, uh, Arismendi, the year chopper, he, this was the last kidnap that he, that he actually did, that he actually carried out. And what happened is he went for one of a very wealthy family in, in Querétaro, in Mexico. He went for, for this guy called Raul Nieto. And I, I heard a story from one of his family members. He, he, told, he, he told it to me so that I could tell it to other people, you know, and stop these kind of things from happening. Mm-hmm. And what happens is one, one day Raul got a phone call from, I'm sorry, Raul was called his brother and told him, you know what, I'm being followed. 
Um, I'm about to be kidnapped, I'm sure. So please call the federal police. I'm driving a Porsche and tell them to intercept me. In I'm, I'm getting on a freeway so that they they can uh, you know they, they can follow. And but this guy was very astute. He knew this was going to happen, so he he started pushing him into that. And he had the ramp into the into the freeway block with a with a van. So what Raúl tried to do, he tried to ram the van with a Porsche. Porsches are not good for ramming. And uh, he got pinned in between the, 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 the van and the safety rail on the side. And when they tried to get him out of the Porsche, somebody lost a shot and they, and they shot him in the stomach and they killed him. Right. So they took him still, you know, bleeding out. They took him to, to captivity to wherever they were hiding and they buried him up to the neck and put ice, ice, uh, ice bags on his head to try to keep him cool. They cut off the, the ear, still kept it in ice, sent it to the family. But when the, when the ear came, there was a doubt uh, whether or not he was alive because of the amount of blood that they saw in the portion and outside the car. And so they, they, they had that ear analyzed and it was, they told them that it was caught post-mortem and that the, the kid was, the kid was well, he wasn't a, really a kid, but he was young mm. and, and that he was dead. So the family made the decision to actually carry out the negotiation in order to get uh, Arismendi and throw him in jail. They managed to do that. He's serving now 46 perpetual you know, life sentences and uh, he's never coming out. But it's, that was a, there was a clear example of how when it's already, when it's too late, it's already too late. And you yeah. need, you need to learn, uh, you need to learn when you need to surrender. Mm. And he went past that and he increased violence. He, he raised the, the bar again uh, on violence. And well, it was, it was terrible. But as I said, it's very difficult to, and, and of course, I'm sorry, I neglected to say, they tried to send another proof of life with him. They unburied him, they cleaned him up, they put him in the shower, you know, the, the corpse. They, they used makeup on him and they took a picture with a, with a newspaper holding it like this. And it's bizarre because they actually tried to do all this. Wow. And I mean, nobody was nobody was buying it. They already knew this was, that that he was dead, and uh, and the only reason why they continued with the negotiation was to get him, and they got him, which was you know fantastic for for Mexico. But I'm sure if you talk to the father and the brother, they would say well, they would have rather paid a lot more money and would rather have these guys still walking around and yeah. have his uh, family member alive. Right? Let's see here. Hardest lessons you've learned in the field. Hardest lessons I learned in the field. And it kind of dovetails with any mistakes you've you've made in the field as well. I, I well, I think that the hardest lessons I, I've made since I've started, uh, you know, working in this field is I've trusted the wrong people, and I lost a lot of time working with and trusting or, or, or following someone that said that he knew what he was doing and he didn't. Mm. I I found that I lost a, a lot of years of my life. Uh, figuring out who were, who, who, which of those people, you know, the people that appear all the time, like you said, the people that have great marketing and all that. I lost a lot of years figuring out who was real and who wasn't. Yeah. I think that was a, the trust. Yeah. I think, I think that was the hardest part. Mm. I, um, I, yeah, I've done the same thing. I'm the, Cause I don't, I don't really <laughs> lie, you know? So like, not that I don't lie. I'm a human. Right. But like, I, generally I'm pretty much telling the truth. And so I'm really vulnerable to people lying to my face. I have, I've had just 
accept this about myself because I'll meet someone and they'll tell me a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And I'll be like, man, that's awesome. And I'll be like telling my <laughs> wife or like telling my buddies. And they're like, you believe this? Like, you really think he's telling me the truth? I'm like, of course he's telling me the truth. And then, you know, and I'm like, well, how are you going to just sit here and lie about this? He's got, you know, machine guns and up armored vehicles and this and, 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 you know, there's been a couple of times where I've been taken for a ride and my people close to me are like, I tried to tell you. <laughs> and I'm like, I just never think anyone's lying to me, you know, because uh, it's not something I, I do, you know, really on a regular basis. I'm just like, I, mean, I just right. something I try not to do. I don't think about it. <laughs> and that, um, that's, pretty, that's pretty much the same thing that happened to me. I, I started yeah. because people, it sounded so fantastic. You know, people with all these military backgrounds that were getting into security and they had all these great tales to tell. And, mm. um, and a lot of them turned out to be not real or, you know, it happens to somebody else and they just kind of like adopted them Tip for themselves. The <laughs> yeah, the start. Yes. Like, right. So and that, that has been the worst, the worst part, the most difficult part. And I lost a lot of time, a lot of years of my life were lost in trusting the wrong people. Man, that's, that's quite a lesson. Um, I hope that it helps other people be a little more wise. Are there any na- private organizations that you'd like to, to name that also help with the whole kind of hostage negotiator thing? We can also add links at the bottom of the episode, but. Well, um, most, most of the, the organizations in Mexico that do uh, this kind of work, they like to keep themselves, uh, you know, very private. They don't want to, uh, they don't want to have the word out. There was one case uh, a few years back. I don't, I don't remember the exact year. It was, uh, you know, early 2000, 2005, probably. Um, this guy that was a very, very famous negotiator, uh, his name was Felix Batista. He used to live in Miami. He was an American citizen, actually. He came down to Mexico and um, he, he, was, he was negotiating this very high profile case in, in, in it, was, it was inland somewhere. I, I don't remember the, the, exact same, the exact spot. So mm-hmm. after the guy came back, after they released him, he went there, he was having lunch with them. Suddenly he gets a phone call. A uh, few black bands park outside the restaurant where they were eating. He stands up on his own from from the table, gets into the band, never to be seen again. And after that, all the negotiators went underground. They disappeared. So uh, there's a lot of them around there, but you gotta know them. Usually, they work for insurance companies. Insurance companies have uh, have a, way, a very good way to reach them, but they don't advertise on their own. The guy stood up, got into vans on his own, on his own, and they never who knows. Me. Who knows what they told him on that phone call? That he actually stood up from the from the table, walked out, got on the got on the van, drove off, never to be seen again. Wow. And this guy was a guy we all knew. And uh, so, you know, the, the guys who actually do this right now, they, yeah. they went underground. They disappeared after that. And and there's a lot of speculation about what happened. Why did he get up on the you know on his own, mm-hmm. walk to the van, and all that? I think the, the American embassy got involved even. And, but there's, there's no, there's no story that I could tell you that, you know, it's actually true. So everything, so every, everything you hear, yeah, there's no point. It's theory. All we so, know, exactly. All we know is he got into that band and disappeared. Wow. That's aggressive. Um, so, no. Noted. Okay. Insurance companies. Um, proudest moment you've had in the field. Uh, proudest moment I had in the field is when I was entering a restaurant in Mexico and somebody got up from a table 
walk up to me and said, 10 years ago, you negotiated my release and he hugged me. <laughs> that was, that was the proudest moment, the proudest moment I've, I've had. Wow. That's amazing. That's valuable. I, there was no way of me recognizing him. I saw a lot of cases and he, yes. 10 years later, he still remembered me. So yeah, that actually brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> yeah, man. That's amazing. Any advice you'd have for anyone looking to get into this, this field? Don't. <laughs> Don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I even got into this field. I was young and, yeah. uh, and I thought it was, it was, uh, you know, something that would be very nice to tell and, you know, tell my kids about. Yeah. And there's a lot of great stories, but the amount of pain that you have to see on other people's families. And the first thing that they teach you when you get into this, you know, the, 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 the old gurus, of uh, kidnap and ransom negotiations. The first thing they teach you is you have to stay out of the of the feeling. You you can't get in, get involved emotionally with the family because the moment the, you you can see the father's heart being ripped out of his chest by the by the call, and you need to stay cool because if you start getting emotionally involved, you start making bad decisions, right? So uh, unless unless you have a heart of stone and you can actually see this kind of suffering because as, as we talked the last time we saw each other uh there's kidnapping's a lot worse than murder because murder murder is final yeah murder and then you get on morning and you know you, you start to deal fly. with your emotions yeah in this case this person gets murdered every day for the length of the negotiation mm-hmm. and they actually tell them that it's his fault that he's being murdered and he's always every every day every time he talks to these people He's second guessing himself, and actually, he's he's questioning you as a negotiator right. whether whether we're making a mistake and would actually get the person killed. And that anguish is really hard to get. If you like this kind of thing, uh, I do advise you know go go to someone who's really professional. There's not nothing very heroic about it. It's a lot of time, uh, you know, locked up in a in a house with a family that's not your own. They're going through a really really bad time, so you try to keep you know, BC and, and you're kind of like, like sequestered with them at the time. So it's, it's not a, it's not an easy job. and It's not a fun job, but if somebody has, uh, has a doubt, sure. Give me a call and I'll point you in the right direction. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Yeah. So you're just kind of like deep cover with a family that's going through a ridiculous amount of trauma, waiting for a phone call or something. And, and you don't leave the house or you leave the house, uh, you know, as, as little as possible because you don't know if the house is, the house is under surveillance. So if they mm-hmm. see a lot of people coming in now, they're going to start getting nervous. If the, and the bad guy's getting nervous usually means or translates into a victim getting hurt. More violence. Wow. So you're kind of undercover too. Yeah. Wow. You're, you're stuck there. Yeah. And then, and then you get a lot of, uh, you know, of, 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 of different things that are going to, test your your capacity of making decisions in on the fly we got a we had a couple of very very weird cases one case we were really close to to getting to to reach to reaching a deal with the negotiators and uh, they tried to squeeze one last bit of information from the victim and they came back to us saying you're lying to me i just got information that you have a plane and you didn't tell me and for us that was news as well we didn't know right so we said well what the hell? You have a plane, and this guy says, "Well, it's not a plane. It's it's one of those uh, you know spraying little planes they use in the fields to uh, to film Yeah, like a little prop jet kind of thing. Ex- exactly. And he says, "Well, I 
I needed to know this in advance because now we have a problem because they think we're lying. Mm-hmm. So we had to create a, a whole new strategy to get out of that one. We had a, one case where the the family asked, it was a, this, a, a little girl that was kidnapped, the same little girl I told you about earlier. And, you know, the proof of life, they said, um, uh, they, they asked them, what color is the, the ceiling of your room? And the little girl in her white imagination, she didn't like the the color of the the ceiling in her room so she the answer comes back pink in english non-spanish just pink and it wasn't it was painted with with the sky and clouds it was blue and white right so we get into a a crisis right there because we say well that's not real information and the the kidnapper is actually in its baffling saying well i've asked the little girl and she said pink she actually said pink she didn't say rosa which is the, the color in spanish she said pink so later on, we found out that she wanted or she dreamt of having her, the ceiling of her room painted pink. So she came out with pink. So as I said, oh, it, so we paint it pink when we get her back. <laughs> <laughs> so Fine. so you, you, you get you get to 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 prove or to, you know, test your mind under pressure in a, in a lot of ways. It's a very challenging kind of job. But hopefully one that is not going to be needed for a long for, you know, for much longer. Yeah. Wow. 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 Okay. So that's the man. That's been amazing. I got a few more for you. Uh, as we close here, closing questions, favorite quote, favorite mantra saying. Favorite quote. Uh, I got it. There was one time where the CFO of Ford company asked Mr. Henry Ford, what if we train them and then they leave? What if we spend money in training them and then they leave? And then Mr. Henry Ford turned back to him and said, what if we don't and they stay? Outstanding. I think that's the best mantra or the best uh, yes. saying ever. That's Very smart mind then. <laughs> right? What if we don't and then they stay? <laughs> that's a problem. That's, a, that's, a worst, that's the worst scenario than spending money on them and then they leave Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. How would you like to be remembered, Pablo? I'd like to be remembered as the man who changed the way we train. Wow. Okay. How, how do you mean? Like just... I'd, I'd, I'd like to... to and and I've, we've been working towards this for a long time. We've tried to bring a lot of science into what we do. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I've been working also close with law enforcement in some some states in the U.S. I wanna I wanna bring new techniques into training that would make the most out of the time that you have for training, out of the resources that you have for training, so that you get the best results when you know when it gets real in the in the job. Wow, outstanding! That's and good. I wanna That's... I wanna make that widespread or, or available to everyone, right? So not an easy task, but yes. Well, I'm glad we're joining forces on doing that. So I'm looking forward to all the stuff yeah, of course. that we're rolling out, man. That's going to be good. Ha- any habit you'd want to pass to the audience that makes you a better person or better at your job? Well, not to pat myself on the back, but uh, I, I think the one habit that has made a difference is I read and I read a lot. Yes. it's good. I, I, I didn't used to be an avid reader and now I go through... I don't know, 16 to 20 uh, books a year. And I would love to go through 50 if I could. Outstanding. Yes, that's outstanding. That's it's a, That habit is worth more than 
it's priceless, honestly. Then, you can't, because then, you're, then, then you realize how much there is out there that you don't know, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. And you can't outperform the information you have in your head. <laughs> you just exactly. can't, you just can't. So, you know, yeah. anyways, that's, that's a really good one. Read, y'all. Uh, all right, what are you up to these days and where can we find you? Um, you can find me on all social media. My company is AS3 Driving, as3driving.com. Uh, you can go on there. And on my LinkedIn page as P Monasterio, mm-hmm. um, I'm available most of the time. Outstanding. I'll have all those links in our, in our, um, you'll send me those links later to put yeah, into our article. And yes. uh, wow, brother, thank you so much for this time. This has been a very potent, uh, in, uh, a very potent interview with information, good information. So Thank you, Pablo, for sharing. It's an honor. Thank you for for having me. It's an honor to be at Executive Protection Nation. (laughs) Yes, sir. 100%. I look forward to everything we're doing. And uh, yeah, man, just thank you. We'll talk soon, brother. We'll talk talk soon. Thank you, Byron. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. Out. Boom. Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can, because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions. Yo, and before we go, you know, I got a shout out to the sponsors, starting out with Primary Weapon Systems, PWS. They truly are the evolution of the rifle. Use Byron for 10% off. Grayman and Company, the most comfortable tactical suits in the game. Use Byron for 10% off with them. Ballistic Theory. You're going to start seeing a lot of stuff with me in Ballistic Theory because they got good ammo for good prices. Use Byron for my discount with those guys as well. Last but not least, Executive Protection Institute. Hey, go check them out and get your executive protection education on. Until the next podcast, this is Byron Rogers, protected by nature and by trade. Out.